Father, we ask your blessing. We thank you for the whole occasion, for the weekend, for the uh, efforts of those who've been working to make this all happen. We just pray your blessing in practical, real ways that will impact us each and better qualify us to live and work for you. And on this session especially, Father, I just ask now that you'd help us to understand, help us to wade through some history, see the past as clearly as we can, and have the wisdom to take those lessons and apply them to the future. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Is there anybody that was not here f this morning? Okay. Very quick uh, summary to get us into position, so to speak. Um, this morning, they, well, the immediate predecessor to this, we were looking at medical missionary work. And we saw that it's a much broader, much simpler work than we sometimes think it is. And that just being nice to people uh, <laughs> is a very important component of the gospel. That's uh, kind of an overly simplified summary. And that not being nice to people, when we fail to do that, and the counsel was, or the statement was, that we have no assurance of eternal life, for we do not meet the demands that God places upon us. So we saw that it was a significant, important issue. Let's put it that way. Medical missionary work. We're going to look this time, this particular session, at what it was a little bit, how it's supposed to go. Okay. Um, last session, we looked at John Harvey Kellogg. We saw that he was, uh, he warped medical missionary work somewhat by his pride and um, his irritation with the Adventist ministry who had irritated him and you know they were not defensible in what they were done but what they had done but he was not defensible in what he had done this is a case of two sides being wrong um, as a personal reaction against Kellogg we sort of turned our back on a lot of things that he stood for both the bad and the good. And so it was a case of kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? So how's that all supposed to, you know, what's the Lord going to do next is, is really the question. Okay? Um, we're going to start first with this quotation. And if you were here before, you saw this before. But why is this important? As religious teachers, we are under obligation to God to teach the students how to engage in medical missionary work. I've been a teacher for 20 years. I think it's important. Okay. Well, okay. To pick up on the story, about the same time that Dr. Kellogg was self-destructing in Battle Creek, something new was going on. The Lord was one step ahead of things, and out in California, we had um, a whole thing going on down in Southern California. Okay. Ellen White kept calling for sanitariums, plural, or sanitaria, perhaps if you like the Latin, um, and. She kept saying, more, you know, we need sanitariums, we need sanitariums. And specifically, she was saying Southern California because it was a tourist destination, kind of a health-oriented tourist destination. And she kept saying, we've got to reach these people. We can reach them here, and then they go back to Michigan or, well, they, hey, we already had Edmonds in Michigan. They go back you know, to their home states, they go back wherever, and the gospel will be spread that way. We must reach this inflow, outflow of tourists, okay? That was part of the thing. So the one person who was listening to Ellen White all this time was a fellow by the name of John Burden. 
And he went out and he bought the Paradise Valley Sanitarium and he bought the Glendale Sanitarium and she kept saying, there's another one, there's another one. And he kept looking and looking and looking. And hopefully you know the story about the purchase of Loma Linda property there. Uh, if you don't, you really owe it to yourself to read it because we're not gonna have time to talk about it now. So um, that, was, that was kind of the, the setting, okay? Um, sanitariums, there was a special connection that Ellen White more and more from about 19, well, 1905, 1904 perhaps, 1904 on, Ellen White kept making as the purpose of sanitariums, okay? And that was cities, okay? This strong emphasis came into her writings, city evangelism, okay? We must do more than we have done to reach the people of our cities. There is to be a working of our cities as they, have never, as they never have been worked. That which should have been done 20, yes, more than 20 years ago, is now to be done speedily. Henceforth, medical missionary work is to be carried forward with an earnestness with which it has never yet been carried. This work is the door through which the truth is, is to find entrance to the large cities. Okay? You see why there's a connection between sanitarium and city work. Okay? It's, it's medical missionary work that is the entrance to the cities. And, and you know, the cities, I hope I don't offend anyone, you know. I didn't grow up in cities. I hate cities. Cities are disgusting, okay? I'm a country boy. I don't like cities at all. But they remind me of a story from Oklahoma. Years ago, there was some intrepid reporter who tracked down one of the notorious Oklahoma bank robbers. I forget which one it was. And they, you know, this little reporter finds this guy in his hideout, and he says, I want to do an interview. And the guy liked the publicity, so he says, sure, I'll do an interview, you know? And he sits, the reporter sits him down, and he says, somewhere along the line, he says, why do you rob banks? Well, that's a really cutting-edge question for a bank robber. You know, why do you rob banks? And the guy thought about it for a while, and he says, that's where they keep the money. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty, pretty simple reason for robbing banks. That's where the money is. You know? Why do we need to work cities? That's where the people are. Should they be there? No. <laughs> you know, is it God's plan for the heaven? You know, big, massive cities like this? No. Should they have enough smarts to get out of them? Yes. You know, are there all sorts of reasons why even you know, non-Christians are thinking it's not such a smart thing to live in a city right now? Yes. But you know what? That's where the people are. So, okay, medical mission work is the entrance to the cities. Going on, in every city, whoa, stop right there. Those first three words. Read them again. <laughs> in every city. That's a bunch. <laughs> That's a bunch, okay? Now this is cool. Okay, I wrote a whole paper on this. It's called Openings Available in Every City. <laughs> if you want to work for the Lord, Trust me, you're not going to be unemployed. Every city is crying out for somebody to come and work it. You know, there's openings available. The field is not yet crowded. Okay? <laughs> In every city, there should be a city mission that would be a training school for workers. Many of our brethren must stand condemned in the sight of God because they have not done the very work that God would have them do. Ooh. Ouch. She takes it seriously. The burden, of our, this is how seriously took it. the burden of our cities has rested so heavily upon me that it sometimes seemed that I should die. 
the work in the cities is the essential work for this time and is now to be taken hold of in faith with mighty power of the Christ to be sounded in our large centers of population behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him okay how do you do this logistics you know okay there are a lot of cities I haven't counted them but I know there's a lot just doing anything in every city is a big project you know I mean you could go and take a picture of City Hall in every city and, and, and you could, you know, have like the world's biggest blog, you know. <laughs> Here's a picture of this City Hall. Here's a picture of this City Hall. Doing anything in every city is, is going to be a major undertaking, okay? How is all this ever supposed to be done? <laughs> well, that's what we're looking at, logistics. How do we do this? If we were only vitalized by the Holy Spirit, there should be a hundred missionaries where there is now one in every city. There's those three words again. In every city, there should be a core of organized, well-disciplined workers. Not merely one or two, but scores should be set to work. More attention should be given to training and educating missionaries with special reference to work in cities. Okay. Take a look at some of the details there. A core of organized, well-disciplined workers. What's the word core mean? Military. Okay, almost military, yeah. Like the Marine Corps. Okay. If you put an N on the word, you get... Or, let's get uh, that right here. If you put an E on the end of the word, you get corpse. corpse. Yeah, a core is a body. Okay, it's it's the body of the Marines. You know, it's it's the whole mass of them. That type of thing. Okay, some sort of an you know it says organized, well-disciplined workers. You know, this is not a <laughs> type of thing. This is something that's you know got some planning, got some you know some some dignity to it. Okay, not merely one or two, but scores. <laughs> How many is a score? 20. How many is scores? 20. A minimum of 40. <laughs> a minimum of 40. Okay. It could be 60, 80, 100, 120, 140, 160, 100. <laughs> it could be a bunch. Okay. I'm working in Wichita. I know that I've got the divine mandate for at least 40 Bible workers. It's a big enough city. If we had 100 Bible workers in Wichita, yeah, it would still be 305 people per Bible worker to try and reach. <laughs> or 350, I should say. Okay. Okay. Let's go on. Arouse your associates to work under some name whereby they may be organized to cooperate in harmonious action. Get the young men and women in the churches to work. Combine medical missionary work with the proclamation of the Third Angel's message. Make regular, organized efforts to lift the church members out of the dead level in which they have been for years. See if the breath of life will not then come back come into our churches, okay? Talked this morning about revitalizing churches. Hey, here's a great way to do it. Yeah, see if the breath of life will not come back into our churches. This is the ticket, okay? Um, work under some name. Again, this is something, you know, it's, it's organized. It's, there's this, there's this, a, you know, it's a semi-formal thing going on here, okay? The young man and the young women. Got some of you here. Good, okay? Let me tell you something. 20-somethings have a unique level of influence, not just a level, but a, a, a quality of influence that nobody else can touch in, in the same way, you know? That's one of the, the, the graceful things about life is learning what you can do at different ages because it will change, okay? A 20-something has huge influence on the teenage crowd, okay? You hit 30, Boom, that's gone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, oh yeah, who cares about him? You know, <laughs> that's just gone, okay? And 20 something also has an influence on the older folks. 
Let me tell you, it is not hard to distinguish yourself in a positive way in today's 20-something uh, job market population. You know? If you can walk through the door with a decent set of clothes on without six nose rings and, 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 and tattoos and an intelligent expression on your face, you're already in like the 1% market. You know? You know? It's just like, wow, there's a person here. <laughs> you know? Trust me, businessmen, you know, you come walking through the door with the rings and the, you know, the pants and the, you know, the whole thing, you know, and they look at you and they say, unemployable. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. You can stand out. Okay, young men, young women, going on. Combine medical missionary work with the third in, proclamation of the third angel's message. This medical missionary work, this again is the simple medical mission work we we're talking about this morning. This is not heart replacements, you know? This is, oh, the, the little lady has arthritis and she needs somebody to, to rake her, the leaves in her lawn. That's medical missionary work, seriously. Okay, lift the church members. There's going to be some Laodiceans in the way. You're going to have to deal with them. See if the breath of life will not come back into the churches. Okay, let's keep going. Um, <coughs> see if I can get through this in right order. Now, this particular program works. 100% of the time that I know that it's been tried, it works. Or at least it was working. I only know of once it was tried in its full-blown aspect. One place tried it, and that church was growing. San Francisco, 1901 to 1906. Okay? And White talks about it twice. Here's the story. Oops. There we are. Okay. There are many lines of Christian effort being carried forward by our brethren and sisters in San Francisco. These include visiting the sick and destitute, finding homes for orphans, work for the unemployed, nursing the sick, teaching the love of Christ from house to house, the distribution of literature, the conducting of classes for healthful living, and the care of the sick. A school for the children is conducted in the basement of the meeting house. I don't know if that's just like an elementary school or what. That's one thing. I don't really know what was going on there. In another part of the city, a working man's home and a medical mission is maintained. What's a working man's home? Homeless. It's a homeless shelter. Okay. What's a medical mission? Probably a charity clinic, something along those lines, okay, is maintained. On Market Street, near the city hall, there is a bath establishment. That would be a hydrotherapy treatment center, okay. Operated as a branch of the St. Helena Sanitarium. In the same locality is a depot of the health food company, where health foods are not only sold, but instruction is given as to reforms in diet. Nearer the center of the city, our people conduct a vegetarian cafe, which is open six days in the week and is entirely closed on the Sabbath. Here, about 500 meals are served daily and no flesh meats are used. Dr. and Mrs. Dr. Lamb are doing medical work for the poor in connection with their regular practice, and Dr. Buchanan is doing much free work at the working man's home. We earnestly hope that the steps taken in the future in the work in San Francisco will still be steps of progress. The work that has been done there is but a beginning. San Francisco is a world in itself, and the Lord's, and the Lord's work there is to broaden and deepen. Check out that text. <laughs> They've got all that going on. She says, good start. <laughs> good start. Yeah. The work that has been done there is but a beginning. That's what needs to be happening in every city. We haven't seen that since 1906. Anybody know what happened in San Francisco in 1906? It was all destroyed by the earthquake. It was all destroyed by the earthquake. 
Incidentally, somebody showed me a picture. You can find it on Google Earth if you go hunting around for it enough. Apparently, in the city hall of San Francisco, someplace you come in and there's steps goes up and there's steps go down. Someplace there's a, a door jam type of thing, and they have some text carved into the, the, the this door jam above the door. You have to you go in and they have to turn around and look back. I guess is, is where it's at, and it says something about um, oh glorious San Francisco or something. Thou art, thou, thou hast been weighed in the balances and found not wanting. Ooh. <laughs> that strikes me as kind of like saying God himself couldn't seek the Titanic. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but just, you know, catch the magnitude. And San Francisco was a dynamic, growing church. Now, there were some things that they didn't have maybe all the way developed yet, even in San Francisco at that time. There was still room for, for growth and development in the general plan of things. But to the best of my knowledge, it's, it's, it's never been tried anywhere near that scale for the last 103 years. So, there you go. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the work in San Francisco was lacking one element that I, I don't find emphasized anywhere in it, that Ellen White emphasized more and more, especially following the earthquake. And that would be this. Repeatedly, the Lord has instructed us that we are to work the cities from outpost centers. In these cities, we are to have houses of worship as memorials for God. But institutions for the publication of our literature, for the healing of the sick, for the training of workers are to be established outside the cities. Especially is it important that our youth be shielded from the temptations of city life. Some of the place where she says not one family in a hundred will be benefited spiritually by living in a city. Don't do it. If you can possibly get out, get out. The cities must be worked. The millions living in these congested centers are to hear the third angel's message. This work should have been developed rapidly during the past few years. A beginning has been made for which we praise God. Outpost centers are being established from whence, like Enoch of old, our workers can visit the cities and do faithful service. This was the burden of my message to the brethren and sisters assembled in conference at Los Angeles. On the morning of the San Francisco earthquake, April 18, the second day after the scene of falling buildings had passed before me, I spoke in the Carr Street Church and bore a decided testimony. I referred to the great work that must be done in the cities of our land and of our inability to do this work by establishing institutions in the heart of these cities. We must learn to labor from outpost centers. Out of the cities. Out of the cities. This is the message the Lord has been giving me. The earthquakes will come. The floods will come. And we are not to establish ourselves in the wicked cities where the enemy is served in every way and where God is so often forgotten. We must make wise plans to warn the cities and at the same time live where we can shield our children and ourselves from the contaminating and demoralizing influences so prevalent in these places. Now, <clears throat> one thing that you've got to realize is that whatever you grew up with in your mind is going to be the baseline. Does that make sense? And only as things deviate from that baseline when you, will you say, oh, the world's getting worse, or the world's getting better, or, or, or whatever. Do you follow what I'm saying? You know? Somebody who grew up 
back when it was not acceptable to swear in public would be shocked. Somebody who grew up like me going to public school where everybody swore in public, you know, it's, it's, that's where my baseline is. I have to consciously adjust my, my, my perception of things and say, well, that may be normal, but I know it ain't good, <laughs> okay? So if you've grown up in a city, it's going to be real easy for you to say, cities aren't such a big thing, yeah. you know? And you can say that, <laughs> but she keeps saying this, so, you know, I'll just leave that with you, okay? Well, okay. Still, we're faced with one really serious question in all this, and that is, how could all of this work that she's calling for ever be done in every city? Well, there was one tool above all others that Ellen White emphasized, that she placed her hopes in, that there was, there was you know, the, the way, the plan, okay, was a school. She says, this is going to be our, our, our hope, <laughs> was a school. It was known as the College of Medical Evangelists. You may have heard the name. Anybody not recognize that name, the College of Medical Evangelists? Okay, everybody recognizes it then. Okay, good. That's what Loma Linda was originally. Okay. Well, <clears throat> um, Loma Linda came into being at this very time. And the Lord had a special plan for it. It was such a special plan that it was, in fact, a whole new approach. Okay? The cause of God today would have been far in advance of what it is had we in former years been more active in the training of nurses, who, in addition to their acquirement of more than ordinary skill in the care of the sick, had also learned to labor as evangelists in soul winning service. Any nurses here? Any nursing students here? Zip. Okay. Uh, yeah. One hand. Okay. Okay. This was this wasn't a big thing. Okay. Follow this through. It is for the training of such workers, as well as for the training of physicians, that the school at Loma Linda has been founded. In this school, many workers are to be qualified with the ability of physicians to labor not in professional lines as physicians. Hello, what? <laughs> You're going to teach somebody to be a doctor and then he's not going to work as a doctor? Yep. Okay. Not in professional lines as physicians, but as medical missionary evangelists. The cause is in need of hundreds of workers who have received a practical and thorough education in medical lines and who are also prepared to labor from house to house as teachers, Bible workers and call porters. This is a new approach. Well, it's kind of old now. I mean, it's a century old, but I mean, you know, it, it hasn't been done that much. Okay, so we'll still call it a new approach. If you're a manager and you say, we're going to do this a whole new way, one of the simple realities of life is that usually means you better find some new person, <laughs> okay? It's hard to take someone who's been running XYZ business and say, we're going to change the whole business. And they say, oh yeah, we're going to change the whole business, aren't we? You know? It's much easier if, if you bring in a new management team. Let's put it that way, okay? Ellen White had just the man. Better yet, he was already on site. He just had no clue what his job was going to be. His name was John Allen Burden. 
He's the guy who bought Paradise Valley. And then he bought Glendale. E.G. White said there was another one. He's the guy that bought Loma Linda, okay, against the wishes of his conference president, okay? Um, he caught a lot of flack. And again, if you haven't read that story, go read it, <laughs> okay, because I don't have time to go through it now. But the thing that makes John Burden stand out, John Burden is the sixth, six, okay, uh, is the sixth most common recipient of letters from Ellen White. I don't remember the exact order, but we're talking things like W.C. White, A.G. Daniels, uh, George Butler, S.N. Haskell, uh, oh, Kellogg should have been up there before that, okay. Those five, and then John Burden. To the best of my knowledge, he got more than 300 letters from Ellen White. To the best of my knowledge, he was never once reproved. <laughs> Nobody else had a batting average like that. <laughs> Trust me, I've read some of those letters. Uh, never once reproved. Counseled, you know, yeah, 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 but never reproved. John Burden was just such a simple guy. He just went out and did what the Lord told him to do. That's pretty cool. I like this guy. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> this is a new approach, okay? It will take some time to get a right understanding of the matter. But just as soon as we begin to work in the line of true reform, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us if we are willing to be guided. Much good can be done by those who do not hold diplomas as fully accredited physicians. Some are to be prepared to work as competent physicians. Many working under the direction of such ones can do acceptable work without spending so long a time in study as it has been thought necessary in the past. Yeah, well, let me just give you a quick heads up on this. Medical program in 1900 was like uh, a three-year program. Well, <laughs> that, that's including the pre-med. <laughs> um, how long was she, you know, what was she talking about here? Okay. Well, really what she's talking about, you know, we could say, nah, 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 nah. you know, there's all sorts, of things, all sorts of ways we could react to this. But think of it like this. She's just simply advocating what the, what the world is catching on to now. You know, sort of like a physician's assistant or a, or a, a, a nurse practitioner or, or one of these intermediate levels of, of technological skill, whatever, okay? She's saying a lot of these people can work. What is it? Much good to be done this. Many working under the direction of such ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Train some, you know, train a few guys. Make them, you know, up to snuff, you know, make them the, the full deal, okay? But then you can have a gazillion people working under their... Magazines may be much, but you can have a bunch of people working under their direction, and you can be doing medical missionary work. Okay? Let's go on. Now, <clears throat> this is John Burden. He summed up all these letters he'd gotten from Ellen White. You know, he summed this up in a letter to the General Conference Committee. And this is how he described his understanding of what Loma Linda was supposed to or going to be, okay? He said, to us, it seems clear from the foregoing testimonies that there are at least three classes of workers to be educated in medical lines. First, many well-trained nurses to work as evangelists. Second, a large number of persons qualified with the ability of physicians to labor as evangelists. Third, a few fully accredited physicians with recognition to stand at the head of the work. What he means by that, and he clarifies this later on, he says, we need to start more medical schools 
Loma Linda is not the only medical school we're going to start. What do you mean? We're going to start a gazillion medical schools. Little medical schools scattered all over the place. And you've got to have a few, you know, fully accredited physicians to be in charge of that. But they're going to be cranking out a bunch of people with all the skill of a physician to labor as a medical missionary evangelist. Okay? This is a different idea, yeah? Okay. Well, <clears throat> um, anytime you come up with a new idea, it's going to face some challenges. You've got to break through the barrier of tradition and, you know, perception and such things, okay? No reason at all to expect that this is going to be any different. It wasn't. And Ellen White, smart lady that she was, she knew this was going to catch, this is, this is not going to go over easily, okay? So she made some strong statements to support this. Right at the time this was going forward, she wrote this. She said, Our people are now being tested as to whether they will obtain their wisdom from the greatest teacher the world ever knew or seek to the God of Ekron. Let us determine that we shall not be tied by so much as a thread to the educational policies of those who do not discern the voice of God and who will not hearken to his commandments. Now, do you remember the, the story of the God of Ekron? Where does that come up in the Bible? Anybody remember that? Okay, 2 Kings 1, <laughs> that's where it comes up. Ahaziah fell through the lattice in the upper room. You know, he's like leaning on the, on the balcony or something. Ah! You know, and he falls over and he racks himself up on the floor. And he's injured. And he says, oh, am I going to live? And he sends off these guys to go to Ekron to inquire of whoever the god over, the local god over in Ekron was and say, will I live or will I die? And the guys are running over to Ekron, and they run into Elijah. <laughs> and Elijah says, uh, excuse me, is there no God in Israel that you inquire of the gods of Ekron? Go back to the palace, tell Ahaziah, thus says the Lord, you will not rise up off your couch, but you will surely die. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Memo. Stick with the God in Israel. <laughs> okay. Who's she talking about? Our people are now being tested going on. Shall we represent before the world that our physicians must follow the pattern of the world before they can be qualified to act as successful physicians? This is the question that is now testing the faith of some of our brethren. Let not any of our brethren displease the Lord by advocating in their assemblies the idea that we need to obtain from unbelievers a higher education than that specified by the Lord. Now, let's look at that for just a second. Focus on the end here. This, this business down the end. Is the Lord's education the highest education? Well, in one sense, we can easily say, yes, the Lord's education is always higher than the world because He's smarter than they are. It depends on how you measure education, though, perhaps. Notice what she says. We need to obtain from unbelievers a higher education than that specified by the Lord. How much education does the Lord specify? Do I need more than He specifies? Do you follow what I'm saying? She's talking about training thousands of nurses, thousands of people with the skill of a physician, but not the license. Do you need more education than that? You know, in a sense, what we're looking at here is that the world was coming along and saying, whoa, 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 you need more education than that. 
do we? Or don't we? Keep that in mind. Okay. What education is specified by the Lord in order to do His work successfully? Now, just kind of take that whole idea, let it roll around your head a few times, take a deep breath, because we're just going to put that on hold, and now we have to wade into California state history. Okay? Because you've got to understand the circumstances that this was all developing. 1900, 109 years ago, California State Medical Societies. Okay? There were several. We first of all have the American Medical Association. And these guys, bless them, and you know, I don't dislike any of these. All these guys are actually doing a good job. I, I, I really respect them. But they're doing a good job in their frame of reference, which does not happen to be the exact same frame of reference as Seventh-day Adventist missionary, okay? You know? I, I, don't, I don't have that big of a problem with any of these guys. So don't, don't take any offense out of this, but you know. Okay. So the American Medical Association had done a really savvy public relations job. And they had it in the, in the popular terminology of the day. They were known as regular medicine. Isn't that sweet? I mean, that was just like so cool. They were regular. What does that make everything else? Irregular. <laughs> okay. The only other, only other industry that I know that came in here close to this is teachers. Can you imagine? Can you just, just imagine the gall of us teachers. What, what do we call teacher training? Do you remember? Normal. Normal school. <laughs> that teachers go to normal school. <laughs> what do all the rest of you guys do, huh? You know. <laughs> Trust me. I've been a teacher for 20, weird, 20 years. There's some really weird teachers. You know, they aren't normal. <laughs> don't, don't let that fool you. Okay. But anyhow, so we got regular medicine. We have to bring that out because that, that shows up in some of our quotes a little later on. Okay. Then you had the Osteopathic Medical Society. You had the Homeopathic Medical Society. You had the Chiropractic Medical Society. You had the Eclectic Medical Society. Maybe never heard of the last one. I like them. Actually, Ellen White said they were the best of the batch. Uh, the Eclectic Medical Institute, later the Eclectic Medical College, operated in Cincinnati, Ohio from 1845 to 1942. They emphasized herbal remedies, but they were open to adopting any other techniques that proved advantageous. That's what eclecticism is, is taking what, what seems to work. Okay? So, you know, okay. So all these societies existed and they all licensed their own members. If I wanted to be an osteopath, I would get my license through the Osteopathic Medical Society. If I wanted to be what they called, you know, the terminology's kind of flopped around a little bit. If I wanted to be an allopath or an AMA physician, I'd get my license through them, okay? That's how it was in 1900. 1901, it changes. February 27, a new law placed all medical licensing under the jurisdiction of a single board of medical examiners made up of five representatives of the AMA, two homeopaths, and two eclectics. Okay, gives us a total of nine members, five of whom are AMA. Yeah. Now, there was a little bit of um, checks and balances built into this. In order for this board to actually do anything, it required a vote of six. So these guys couldn't totally railroad anything all by themselves. They had to persuade through whatever means, at least one of the other four to vote with them, okay? But trust me, the two homeopaths and the two eclectics were not happy, <laughs> but this had become the law of the state. 
Now, the, the one outfit that saw this thing coming down the pike, and, and I don't know how they figured this out, but the osteopaths, they heard about this somewhere along the line, and they said, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no possible way do we want to be controlled by a board like this. And so they pulled out the big guns, and 10 days later, Another new law established a board of osteopathic examiners and explicitly exempted them from the jurisdiction of any other provision of California law. So the osteopaths are free and independent, and they're dancing in the streets. The homeopaths, the eclectics, and the, chiro oh, the chiropractors especially, the chiropractors were like totally bummed out. They couldn't get a single vote off of that board. Okay? It effectively became illegal to... Uh, it became let's put it this way. It became impossible to apply for a, a, a practice or a, a license to practice chiropractic in California, because those guys were never going to vote you through. End of discussion. It was not easy to get a, a license to be a homeopath or an eclectic. That's just that's just the reality of it. So the osteopaths were happy. Everybody else was like really ticked off. The AMA, I guess, they were feeling pretty good about it. Um, actually, there's a, a great little history of the AMA uh, written up by. Uh, a doctor, I forget his name, I'm sorry. And he said that the association learned early on the value of uh, legislation as a means of, of uh, enhancing the reputation of the society. <laughs> so they were they're very consciously doing this, okay? Um, <clears throat> okay, well, that's what happened in 1901. A lot of people were unhappy with that. And so, predictably enough, from 1901 to 1907, there were 21 congressional bills which failed to rewrite the law during the intervening years. In 1907, a new statute was finally passed. There are a number of minor changes, two very significant provisions. I read through all of these. There's some guy down here in Sacramento who sits around in an office, has absolutely nothing to do all day long until some guy from Wichita calls him up and says, yeah, there's a whole bunch of old, old bills that never were voted. Could you photocopy them and send them to me? I'd be happy to do it, he said. <laughs> that was really kind of neat. So yeah, I read through all this stuff. It's, it's really kind of boring. And they all try, oh, let's tweak it this way. Oh, let's tweak it that way. Oh, let's tweak it this way. And nobody could get the votes. 21 bills. Bam, 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 bam. They're all being slapped down. Finally, in the middle of the legislative session in 1907, some guys over whiskey in a smoke-filled back room of some bar, they cut a deal. Because this law came through, there were actually four bills on the floor at that point to change the licensing, medical licensing. The next day, they were all struck down, a new compromise bill was put in, and 10 days later, it was law. It was bam, 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 bam. It was like incredibly fast, just reading this whole thing, all the steps that it went through. Okay, this is what happened. Three forms, this is according to the law now, three forms of certificate shall be issued by said board, medical licensing board. First, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice medicine and surgery. That would be your AMA license. Second, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice osteopathy. Third, a certificate authorizing the holder thereof to practice any other system or mode of treating the sick or afflicted not referred to in this section. Hello? Can you say blank check? <laughs> any other mode or system of treating the sick. As long as you had a state-chartered medical school, which was not that hard to get, you could get licenses. It's incredible. The new law required examinations on anatomy, histology, gynecology, pathology, bacteriology, chemistry, and toxicology, physiology, obstetrics, general diagnosis, and hygiene. Okay. So, you know, it's not like they were trying to turn out a bunch of total, you know, untrained quacks. But if you read that list, two major things missing. 
pharmacology. There's one. Surgery. There's the other. Man, I've got a bright audience. This is so good. Okay. Two items uh, left off the required list. Materia Medica, they called it back then. That's pharmacology. That's drugs. Okay. And surgery. You did not have to study either pharmacology or surgery in order to get a medical license of some kind from California. Okay. Osteopaths. Um, no, no, no. Let's see. Get the right people. Homeopaths, they don't do surgery. You know? And so the law had to be written in a way that, that all these different modes of treatment and whatnot, you know, could, could, could work through. Now, if you were going to get an AMA license, then you'd have to, you'd have to study surgery because their, their board would require that test, you know, okay? But the state-required tests didn't include it. Eh, kind of wild. Okay, what did all this mean for Seventh-day Adventists? This was 1907. Loma Linda was purchased in 1905. <laughs> okay, 1907, this all happens. There was one person who thought he knew what this meant, and that was John Burden. <laughs> he wrote, since the legislature of California has opened the way for the students of such a school as the Loma Linda College of Medical Evangelists to be legally recognized to practice sanitarium methods of healing or rational remedies with no thought or effort on our part. In other words, the legislature did it. I mean, the Adventists didn't. Adventists weren't down there championing this law. It was months after the law was passed before they even heard about it. Okay? He says, it just happened. <laughs> no thought or effort on our part. It has seemed to us a divine providence coming as it did the next year after we had started our school. The battle was fought by the osteopaths. That was back in 1901. Okay, they got that second lawsuit. That's the only thing I can think of that he's talking about there. The battle was fought by the osteopaths, but the legislature then threw the gate wide open for any schools. Requirements for entrance to the medical course were equal to a high school preparation on the ten fundamental branches that underlie medical education. Materia Medica and surgery are both thrown out, so that a good thorough school of hygiene or rational practice of medicine would have no difficulty being recognized in this state. And should our school be recognized here, its students would have a vantage ground from which to secure recognition in other states, the same as osteopaths are being recognized. Their healing art is fast being recognized in all the states, but they have had to fight their way to the front with everything against them. Their opening the way will evidently make it easier, for a time at least, for other reputable methods of healing to become recognized. It certainly was a great misfortune that the American Medical Missionary College, stop, who's that? That's John Harvey Kellogg's medical school, okay, in Battle Creek, the American Medical Missionary College. It certainly was a great misfortune that the AMMC was launched under cover of the regular school, stop, who's that? Okay, rather than under the banner of the healing art embodied in the third angel's message. And it seems to some of us that we shall make the same mistake they did if we undertake to follow their example in establishing a medical school whose very standard, if at, it is at all maintained, means commercialism from first to last. How is this guy so smart? Wow. Have you heard anything about, oh, health expenses lately? <laughs> Ever hear anything about um, what, what, what do I want? Yeah, you know, the uh, Obamacare or whatever. You know, uh, you know, this is a huge issue. It's been a big issue for a while now. Okay, and John Burden somehow looking down through time, he says, "I can tell you where this is going to end up. This is going to end up being one big financial mess. That's where it's going to end up." Okay, going on. 
I am sure, he says, that as soon as the question of establishing an independent and uniquely Adventist medical college comes up, the first thought will be of a superficial medical education that would be a disgrace to the work of the message unless we can establish a fully equipped medical school after the world's idea which could become a member of the Association of American Medical Colleges. Who's that? The Association of American Medical College is the educational branch of the AMA. Okay, so he's saying if, if, if we do a school and we can't measure up to everything that the AMA educational guys are calling for, you know, then people are going to think it's a disgrace, right? Okay, he said, I do not believe we should for a moment give countenance to anything of this sort. If much that is now embodied in the medical schools of the world is as useless as the maxims of the scribes and Pharisees, and if there are intricate studies that are a positive injury to the mind of the student, disqualifying him for the work he should do, and again, if much of their course is mere rubbish, oh, let's just stop for a moment. Dear sweet happy brother Bird's getting a little, uh, a little critical here. <laughs> What right did he have to say all these um, uncharitable things about medical education? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, he was. <laughs> He's quoting from Testimonies and Experiences, connected with the Loma Linda Sanitarium and College of Medical Evangelists, page 42. <laughs> That's where he's quoting from. It's almost a direct quote. He's changed, you know, he's, he's paraphrased just very slightly. Okay? And if you do a little research, you find that the original source, even before that, turns out to be an Ellen White letter. Letter B241-03. 1903. Long before Loma Linda was ever purchased. Okay? See that B? Why do you suppose that's there? It stands for burden. This is a letter to him, okay? So he's quoting a letter, a personal letter from Ellen White to him. So yeah, okay, okay, cut the guy some slack, okay? So he says, <clears throat> if all that is true, Elder Burden asked, would a medical school, do, 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 okay, where am I? Oh, I see, okay. If all that is true, Elder Burden asked, would a medical school eliminating these useless things from its work and adding that most helpful healing agency, the influence of the gospel of Christ, as revealed in the study of the scriptures, combined with the rational remedies and the ten fundamental branches taught in harmony therewith, would such a school become superficial simply because it stood alone and was not recognized by the modern schools of the world? Would it? Or wouldn't it? That was the question which was testing the faith of some of the brethren. Okay, so now what we've got is this huge need for medical missionary work in every city. We've got a, a, a radically, in some ways, in some ways very similar, but in some ways very, a radically different approach through the College of Medical Evangelists as being proposed and advocated by John Burton and Ellen White and Oh, RSO and not a whole lot of other people. Um, but, you know, we had this, this, this alternative approach to, to our educational system, our medical education, as a way to, to meet this huge demand over here, okay? So you kind of get in the pieces. You can kind of, you know, kind of try and tweak this thing together in your mind. But here, what about the finances? 
How are you going to pay for this? It's, it's nice to dream up great theoretical thoughts, <laughs> you know. Reality, man, reality. How are you going to pay for this? Okay? Let's look at a question. Well, we read the first part of this. In every large city, there should be a core of organized, well-disciplined workers, not merely one or two, but scores should be set to work. But, Ellen White says, the perplexing question is yet unsolved. How they will be sustained. <laughs> okay. How are we going to pay for this, she says. Is there a year on that? No, nope, I don't have a year on that. That would be fun to see the year. Okay. Well, as she kept writing on the subject, she, she came up with different statements, you know, that, that address this question. How do we pay for all this? Here's the first part. What's that stand for? Keep it simple, stupid, okay? Keep it simple, son. Keep it simple, sweetheart. Keep it simple, saints. I've, I've heard of a bunch of different things, okay? Keep it simple, okay? In every city where we have a church, there is need of a place where treatment can be given for common ailments. The building might be inelegant and even rude, but it should be furnished with the facilities for giving simple treatments. These, skillfully employed, would prove a blessing not only to our people but to their neighbors and might be the means of calling the attention of many to health principles. Okay, what do we get out of that? The building might be inelegant, even rude. It needs, it needs to be furnished properly, right? But it does not have to be the latest and greatest available. You know, there's a human tendency to think that you have to have top of the line or you just can't get anything done. This is wrong. <laughs> this is wrong. Ellen White says this quite a number of places, you know. Go to work with what you've got. Well, go on. All the grand displays that have been made in the medical missionary work or in buildings or in dress or in any line of adornment are contrary to the will of God. I, I, you know, it's kind of an interesting uh, list of, of applications she's making out of this. I don't know why she put all those in. I was tempted to put in ellipses just to keep the focus on the, the medical thing, but I said, no, I don't know. She put them in for some reason. I'll just leave it there. Okay. Grand displays of any of these kinds, contrary to the will of God. Our work is to be carefully studied and is to be in accordance with the Savior's plan. What was Jesus' plan? How did he go about his work? Well, let's see. He walked around a lot. He helped people who were sick. And he talked about God. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Walk around, help people talk about God. It's not that complicated. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. Or... A brain surgeon, okay? <laughs> now, when I say it's a simple work, I mean it's not complicated. It is not for the foolish or for child's play. It will arouse antagonism. They killed him because of it. Okay? So don't think this is for, you know... Yeah, there's, there, there are things to be learned, but they're you know, maybe a little different, okay? Okay, let's go on. Great statement. Follow this one. First three words. 
in every city. Now, this one's modified a little bit. In every city where health reform is presented. Well, how many cities are we supposed to present health reform? Yeah, okay, all of them. So, yeah, okay. In every city where health reform is presented to the people, there should be a limited ministry of the benefits of practical health reform and a place provided where the sick may be treated for common ailments. The building may not be all that could be desired, but it may be fitted up to give treatments in simple lines. This simple work will prove a blessing. A good physician who understands the simple means we use in our first practice of health reform has done wonders, even in our camp meetings. This work has always proved a blessing. Let's look at some things here. Common ailments, simple lines, simple work, simple means has always proved a blessing. It doesn't have to be complicated. Now, let me make something clear. I am not opposed to modern medicine. I love this stuff. I'm not a doctor, but I, 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 I read it. You know, I've got all sorts of little email alerts, the type of thing, you know, and I always read the bottom of the section on health, whatnot, from the Google News, you know. And all. I like it. I'm interested in it. It's great stuff. If I ever wrap myself around a telephone pole at 70 miles an hour, I do not want someone to offer me, you know, chamomile tea. <laughs> I like chamomile tea. <laughs> but that's not what I want under those circumstances. I want somebody with the latest and greatest super duper micro something, this, that computer controlled automatic vein stitcher type of thing. You know, <laughs> I don't know what it takes. I want somebody who's going to scrape me off the pavement and rebuild me into one piece. I love modern medicine. Okay? It's just not the tool that God gave us as an evangelistic tool. That's the only, that's the only beef I have with it. It's great, but it's not, it's not the tool of choice. Okay? <clears throat> Notice this. This is the same statement. I don't know if the, how, how much the highlighting shows up out there, but I highlighted those words right there. Limited ministry. Hello. How many times do you find Ellen White calling for a limit put on any brand of ministry? You know? I, I, I know it once. <laughs> what's, what's she mean by this? Limited ministry. Not Battle Creek. Don't let the tail wag the dog. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, put that in context with every city. How limited is, is every city, you know? It is not limited that way. It is limited in it doesn't have to be huge, great, the latest and greatest, you know, that type of thing, okay? It's not to become another Battle Creek monolith, okay? Do you remember the Sunday morning? Jesus had come to Capernaum. Peter's wife's mother was sick, right? And Jesus healed her, and the new word got out, and everybody wanted to bring their sick, you know, whatnot, but it was Sabbath, right? And so as soon as the sun went down, oh, it's dark, man, wow! And everybody goes tearing off to Peter's house, and Jesus healed them all, right? Finally, it's late at night, and he sends the disciples off to bed, and he goes out someplace in the hills to pray. And the next morning, Sunday morning, all the disciples, they come out, Jesus, all the people are looking for you. Remember what he said? Time to leave. <laughs> there are other cities. There are other cities I must go and preach. That's the example for our medical work. 
We don't need a huge concentration of our available manpower and talent and finance. We need to spread it out, okay? Spread it out a little here, a little there, a little there, in every city, a little something. Someone who knows the truth, who can earn people's confidence that someone locally can hunt them up and say, wow, you know, there's something different about you. You're helping people. Why do you do that? That's our, that's our medical work, right? Okay. <clears throat> Going on. We must do more than we have done to reach the people of our cities. We are not to erect large buildings in these cities. But over and over again, the light has been given that plants should be made in every city of America. And I suspect that might eventually branch into other countries too. <laughs> okay. We have no time to neglect the doing of this work, which for years has been outlined before us. Well, you know, human beings are very creative. And even though we had absolutely no time to neglect that work, we managed to squeeze it in <laughs> for the last hundred years. Even in our busy schedules, we found a way to neglect that work. <laughs> I'm cynic. Don't, don't, don't take me too seriously. Here's why, though. In every city, there are men and women who would go to a sanitarium were it near at hand, who would not be able to go to one a long way off. I look at this matter in a very decided light. The Lord's plan is to have small sanitariums established in many places so that the greatest number of people, east and west and north and south, can be reached through this means. It's not so complicated. The sick are to be reached not by massive buildings, but by the establishment of many small sanitariums, which are, are to be as lights shining in a dark place. Our sanitariums are to help to make up the number of God's people. We are not to establish a few mammoth institutions, for thus it would be impossible to give the patients the messages that will bring health to the soul. Small sanitariums are to be established in many places. Impossible, she says. It's impossible. There are certain settings where you can't do what needs to be done. Well, that makes sense. Let's look for a different settings. <laughs> okay? Okay. <clears throat> um, so, by keeping things small, we can help with the financial thing. Remember, we started off talking about the finances here. And it, keep it simple. Keep it simple. That, that will help with finances. But, you know, uh, you start talking about in every city, and I don't care if you're spending a dime in every city. After a while, it's going to add up. So we still have to come back to the question of what do we do about money? You are to go into these cities and begin work in a humble way. You don't need the latest and greatest. Take the best you got. Make it work. Begin work in a humble way. If we had faithfully followed from the first the instruction regarding city work, means would have come in for us to establish in these places, schools and small sanitariums where we could treat the sick and preach the gospel and educate the people in Bible truths. We would have had the means to sustain all the enterprises for missionary work that we could carry forward. Mm. Hello! <laughs> That's incredible! I about keeled over my chair when I read that. She says, medical missionary work in the big cities doesn't cost you money, it brings it in. Mm. We would have had all the money we needed. 
We'd be rolling in dough. We'd be rich. We'd be, no, no, no. Forget that. <laughs> I know the Lord wouldn't do that. Okay. But it would provide all our needs. Means would have come in. Shall we not advance in faith just as if we had thousands of dollars? We do not have half faith enough. Let us act our part in warning these cities. The warning message must come to the people who are ready to perish, unwarned, unsaved. How can we delay? As we advance, the means will come, but we must advance by faith, trusting in the Lord God of Israel. I don't care how much money it's going to bring in, you're never going to have a lot of it in the bank at any one time. That's what, that's what she's just, you know, that's what I'm reading out of that, okay? As we advance, the means will come. But you have to advance by faith. And I think that usually means your bank account's going to be pretty low. <laughs> Can we afford to do this? No, but we can't afford not to. <laughs> the Lord will have to provide. That's the basis on which some of the most exciting evangelistic work in the world is going forward. Why doesn't it happen in the United States? Well, it can. Okay. Now that was written in 1909. That's 100 years ago. Do a little quick math, adjust for inflation. Acting as if we had thousands of dollars. You know, I, I don't know. What's that work out to? A few hundred thousand now? Now trust me. You know, you start talking about building a hospital. A few hundred thousand dollars is not uh, not a lot. You know, you could buy a few bedpans. <laughs> you know, I don't know what. You know, a few hundred thousand dollars is not going to get you far building a hospital. But it'll get you started in medical missionary work. And you need to act as if you had it, when in fact, you don't. <laughs> okay? This is kind of challenging stuff, isn't it? As we advance, we must advance by faith. Okay, going on. <clears throat> as men and women are brought into the truth in the cities, the means will begin to come in. As surely as honest souls will be converted, their means will be consecrated to the Lord's service, and we shall see an increase of our resources. That makes sense. You convert somebody, and they start giving you tithes and offerings. <laughs> you know? How can this be so hard? Go to these wealthy men with a heart filled with love for Christ and suffering humanity. And ask them to help you in the work you are trying to do for the Master. As they see that you reveal the sentiments of God's benevolence, notice that word benevolence, right? Remember this morning? A cord will be touched in their hearts. They will realize that they can be Christ's helping hand by doing medical missionary work. They will be led to cooperate with God to provide the facilities necessary to set in operation that work needs to be done. This is, this is an interesting example that Ellen White hits several times, I've found. Your key to appealing to the wealthy sector of society is your love for the, for the, for the low sector of society. Does that make sense? Yeah. You start some humanitarian work for the people that need your help. Advance like as if you had a thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars. Get out there and start doing something that's practical, helpful, and beneficial to these people. And then you have a right to go up here to the, the fancy offices in downtown and say, this is what we're trying to do down here on, on Pawnee Street. Could you help us? 90% of them are going to say no. Probably, I'm guessing. Yeah. But every now and then you're going to walk into one of those big offices and the guy sitting there, he's got a guilty conscience already. And he's looking for some way to, to, to you know, feel like he's, he's, he's an okay guy. 
Well, oh yeah, well, you need five thousand. We could give you five thousand dollars. You know, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, I feel better already. Huh? Okay. <laughs> now you haven't converted that guy. <laughs> you did get his money, but that gave you a working relationship with him. You go down to Pawnee Street. You put that five grand into work. You take some pictures. You make a nice little notebook. You go back to him and you say, Mr. Johnson, I just wanted to show you what your money did. See, here's little Jessica. See that big smile on her face? That's because of what your money did, Mr. Johnson. And again, the guy's got to have a little heart. <laughs> that's, the, that's the avenue. That's the way. And, and, and this work is particularly designed to reach the, the affluent. Ellen White says that. You know, the medical missionary work is supposed to be reaching the rich people. That's how you do it. Why do not our people wake up to the peril threatening the men and women in the cities of America? Why are not our churches aroused? And why is there not an earnest call made for volunteers to enter the whitening harvest field? That's another key financial thing. Much of this work is going to be carried on by volunteers. That's obvious time after time in all White's writings. Have you ever read, you know, about people that go off to South America or Philippines or Africa or someplace as volunteer missionaries? Of course you have. <laughs> of course you have, okay? Is there anybody that would, like, possibly consider volunteering to work in the United States? There's got to be someplace, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Volunteers is a key thought. Well, okay. Now that's all the plan. Now we've got to finish our history. Oh, I'm going long on this, but we're almost done. What actually happened? The road we traveled. <clears throat> Let's back up. Stop right there. Okay. They had to decide what they were going to do with Loma Linda. That's basically where we're at in history. We're about 1909, 1910, framework, okay? Eh, this one, I think, goes back to 1907. But, you know, they were trying to figure out what they were actually going to do. Remember John Burton had said, hey, let's take advantage of this law they gave us. They just opened the door wide open for us. Let's do it. <clears throat> well, you know, anytime you're discussing big projects and things like that, different people have different perspectives. You've got to get used to it. If you've not worked on a committee, oh, join the fun. Uh, <laughs> and when you get on a committee, you know, Marvin thinks this, and Sully thinks that, and Fred thinks this, and, and Alvin over here is not thinking at all, but he's got a lot to say anyhow. You know, that's what committees are all about, okay? You're going to have different opinions. And there were different opinions as to what Loma Linda should do. The one that seemed perhaps to be the most influential was this one. Does the plan for the College of Medical Evangelists contemplate the establishment of a full-fledged medical college that will be recognized by legal bodies such as the American Medical Association? You know it must have such recognition to be worth a nickel. This was not John Burden's idea. <clears throat> Why did Brother Daniels hold that opinion? It's not because he's a bad guy. A.G. Daniels is a better man than I ever hoped to be. He was sincere. He just, this was, 
Oh, I don't have the date on that. I'm sorry. This was like 1908, I think, this comment was made. He just had a whole lot of flack coming from John Kellogg. Remember I said this morning that John Kellogg could lie? He told lots of lies about Daniels. He was a major pain in Daniels' neck. I think what happened is that Brother Daniels was just very happy to get rid of everything that John Kellogg stood for. By the time it was over, he was a real pain to Kellogg, or Kellogg was a real pain to, to Daniels. And I think perhaps unconsciously, you know, he kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. He didn't want any more of this messy medicine, this down working with the drunks medicine. Let's do the respectable kind. Well, we should always retain our dignity. I think that was probably what happened. It's hard to say. Um, okay. In the end, the majority of the brethren saw advantages in associating with the AMA. One major exception to this, I might mention, was the business manager of the college, a gentleman by the name of John Burden. But as sometimes happens, he was outvoted on the committee, <laughs> basically. And the decision was made to join the AMA, join, you know, follow their brand of medicine, their, their approach to medicine, as the most respectable of the different medical societies available at the time. You know, but that wasn't that easy. The AMA wasn't just, you know, rolling over dead to let somebody join. <laughs> and so there were some challenges. The, um, the AAMC, American Associ Associate of American Medical College, I think it's AAMC, the educational branch, the AMA, they said, oh, you want to start a school. We're in the business of right now closing down a lot of schools. It was a tough period in medical education. They were intent on shutting down medical schools more than starting new ones. First thing they did is they came out and they looked at this building here. This is the original sanitarium building. And they said, you know, that's never going to work as a hospital. It doesn't cut it. You need a real hospital. So we built a real hospital. Well, those pictures are dark. I'll have to lighten those up. Okay. Down the hill from the sanitarium, out a little ways, I think it's now South Hall or something like that. Is it, I don't know if it's still there or not. I think, it, I think it's been demolished eventually. But they built a hospital. And they called the AMA guys back and they said, we've got a hospital. And the AMA looked at it and said, yeah, it's not going to work. It's in the wrong spot. I mean the wrong spot. It's out here in this tourist country. If you want a hospital, if you're going to train doctors, you need a hospital in downtown LA. That's where the sick people are. You're not going to see all the weird miscellaneous cases. All you're going to get out here is, is the, the common ailments. Somebody gets really sick, they're going to, you know, this is just tourists out here. Somebody gets really sick, they're going to go home. They're not going to, you're, you're never going to see, you know, this one and this one and this one and this one. You know, these are things that only happen once out of every 500 cases, one out of every 5,000 cases. You're never going to see that out here. You've got to have a hospital in downtown Los Angeles. And they were absolutely right from their perspective. They weren't trying to give us a hard time. That's perfectly intelligent from their perspective. Whoever made us think that the AMA had the same perspective as Seventh-day Adventists? Why did we ever come up with that idea? 
Now, this raised a question. <clears throat> because the brethren remembered some counsel. Back in 1901, there was a suggestion that there's, there's some property out on Hill Street. I don't know if anybody knows Los Angeles, but Hill Street at the time was sort of out to one side of the city. The idea was buy this property and build a combination sanitarium and vegetarian restaurant. And somebody asked Ellen White, hey, is this a good idea? What do you think? And she didn't know much about it. She kind of gave them an eh, eh, answer type of thing, you know? Well, she, some months later, she was passing through and they said, come out and see the property. Okay, okay. So here's the comment that came out of this experience. The Lord has at no time guided and the large plans have been laid for buildings in Los Angeles. He has given light as to how we should move and yet movements have been made that are contrary to the light and instruction given. I was taken to see this property and as I walked up the hill in front of it, I heard distinctly a voice that said, encourage no settlement here of any description. God forbids my people must get away from such surroundings. This place is as Sodom for wickedness. The place where my institutions are established must be altogether different. Leave the cities, and like Enoch, come from your retirement to warn the people of the cities. That was in 1901. And now in 1910, 11, and 12, the brethren remembered this. And it did cause some, you know, questions. What do we do? AMA says we need a 200-bed hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Hill Street's off to one side, or it was at that time. I think it's, I'm sure it's been engulfed somehow now, but, you know, what do we do? Well, <clears throat> they debated, they discussed, and I need to emphasize something, and I'm going way too long, I'm sorry. They said, you know, I, I, needed, I needed to emphasize, you know, that, that we have no place to criticize these guys, okay? It's so easy looking back from 100 years later. That's why I named my book Hindsight, <laughs> okay? I wasn't there on the ground. I wasn't the one who was facing the, the difficult situations and the tests and the, and the temptations. I have nothing critical to say about these gentlemen whatsoever. I do think they made a mistake, but I'm not the one to be criticizing. My job is to be charitable and maybe learn something along the way. So here's what they did. This is the, the summation of it. It was felt by some of the brethren that the testimony of 1901 had reference to a sanitarium and not to a clinical hospital such as the needs of the medical college now required. Well, so what they did, of course, was they built a 200-bed hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Its construction was authorized in the fall of 1915. It was completed in 1916 and named the Ellen G. White Memorial Hospital in honor of the Lord's Messenger who had died in June of 1915. Over the decades since, the White Memorial has played a large role in the training of thousands of fully licensed, highly trained and qualified Seventh-day Adventist physicians, many of whom have served the Lord selflessly. And there, for their efforts, we should all be grateful. The medical missionary course at Loma Linda did not fare so well. 1923 was the last year it was offered. Our attention had shifted to other goals. Now, let me be blunt. I believe we missed a golden opportunity. I think Elder Burden was right on target. 
I believe the Lord gave us the chance to establish a new kind of medical missionary practice. We would have come up with our own name. I don't know what we would have called it, you know. We could have been a hundred years ahead on the cutting edge of, of these intermediate levels of, of health care. We could have specialized in common ailments rather than the one in 5,000. We could have reached hundreds of thousands of people. We never would have had to put up with a hundred years of this nonsense. So we would have got the job done. We would be out of here. That's my thought. We had that opportunity. And we had the, the opportunity to gain the blessing of the state of California at the time. But I also believe in the sincerity of the men who passed these motions. I'm not here to criticize. And by the time the final decisions were made, you know, it's just possible that they did the best they could. Because remember that law that was passed in 1907? It didn't last forever. That door closed in 1913. New law, far more restrictive. We had the door open. We walked past it. Here we are today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.